the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Our focus together really is upon the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a really powerful gospel. It's the fourth uh, gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John gives us a unique perspective of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as I've shared with you over this last, these last several weeks, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called or referred to as the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels represent sort of three gospels that are seen together. They provide an outline of Jesus' life and ministry. They're very similar in nature. They tell some different stories, but there's kind of a flow to them from the early days of Jesus' life to his death and resurrection and eventually his ascension. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are unique in their own way, but they flow together. Matthew was written primarily for the Jews, so they would understand more about Jesus, although there's certainly valuable understanding for each one of us in that. Mark was written primarily for the Romans because it was a Roman culture that Jesus was surrounded by. And Luke uh, really penned his gospel, focusing primarily on the Gentiles or those that were of the Greek orientation. And so all sort of aspects of society were covered by the gospels. And certainly they all appeal and certainly speak to each one of us. But when John wrote his gospel, it was the last gospel to be written. He wrote in the early to mid-90s A.D., and so he's the last apostle living. Everybody else has been martyred, and he's the last old guy living. And he says, before I die, there's something that I need to do. I need to pen a unique gospel. He was moved by the Holy Spirit to give us the gospel of John. And the gospel of John is very different from all the other three because John doesn't start with a historical perspective of Jesus. He starts with Jesus being in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John starts going all the way back before the beginning of time and describes Jesus in a very unique way. There are 21 chapters in the book of John. I've told you, encouraged you as a part of this series to maybe read one chapter of John every day, and in 21 days you can complete the entire book. It's one of those uh, books of the Bible that I often encourage people to read when they're a new believer because it really founds you, establishes you in your faith. So the gospel of John is very, very unique. And there's one word that shows up time and time again in the gospel of John, and that is the word believe. And when you and I come to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John lays out for us the the understanding of why he even wrote this gospel. What motivated him as an old man to give us this, this account of Jesus' life? And notice what he says here. Jesus performed many other signs. Notice that word. We'll come back to it in a moment. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may, what's the word here? Believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing 
you may have life in his name. John says, the reason I gave you this book, there are many other things that Jesus did that we could talk about, but I'm giving you some of these signs. There's a key word there. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, in this gospel account. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says the whole reason that I'm motivated by the Holy Spirit to present this gospel account to you after all the other three have been presented. I wanted to add one more. The Holy Spirit wanted to impart to his people one more account so that without any shadow of a doubt, you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. As I mentioned, this word or this concept, this presentation, this Greek term for believe or believing, and when I uh, reference the Greek, the reason I do so is because the primary original language of the New Testament is in Greek language, the original writings of that. And so when we look back in the Greek language for the words that John used, he used the word believe or believing many, many times in the 21 chapters, but he always used it in a very particular way. He never used it as a noun. He always used it as a verb. Remember, we've talked about that, right? And so for John, believing wasn't something that you just possess. It was not just uh, like a, I've got some belief, like something you sort of put in your pocket and you've got uh, something that's sort of a possession of yours. But for John, the word believing was an action. Every time that John talked about believing, he's talking about doing something. He's talking about a belief that moves you forward with your life, a belief that changes the way you think, a belief that changes the way you act, a a belief that changes actually the way that you live. And so he's saying, I want you to have a belief that is active-oriented, that is action, that is moving your life in a particular direction toward Jesus, believing, having a confidence that he is the Messiah, the actual Son of God. And John uses another word that I want to draw your attention to. We mentioned it a moment ago. I'll go back to it right here, and that's the word. Say it with me. Signs. He says, Jesus performed many other signs. And the word signs is also a very important word to John. For that word signs really refers to, actually the original Greek word refers to the finger marks of God. That I presented to you some of the signs here. And I want you to see the finger marks of God. I want you to see that when Jesus did certain things, it was an assurance, it was proof, it was an extraordinary phenomenon, it was a miracle, it was a supernatural indication of something. The signs that are recorded in this book are recorded for the purpose so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, uh, John says, Jesus signs are really important. The finger marks of God are behind every sign or miracle that Jesus performed. And so it's valuable for us to take just a few moments this weekend and talk about the signs, to talk about the miracles that Jesus did. Because one of the reasons that you and I can be confident that Jesus is the Son of God is because He performed miracles. He performed miracles. He performed signs. People saw it and said, my goodness, that must be the finger mark of God. He did things that caused people to step back and say, well, my goodness, that's not something a human being could do. Only God could do something like that. So everything I'll talk about tonight is not just something that goes back over 2,000 years ago. It is as relevant as this moment in your life right now. 
So let's dive in together. Are we ready? What do we need to know about the miracles of Jesus? The first thing that you and I need to know is this, that Jesus' miracles show us God's true character. That Jesus' miracles show us God's true character. The character of someone really represents who and what they are. And so it's important to understand who Jesus is. Who is he? What do we know about him? And what do we know about God from Jesus? And so when Jesus performed miracles, he was actually revealing a dimension of the nature of God. Now remember the world that Jesus entered into. When Jesus entered into our world, he entered into a world that was primarily focused on Jews, Romans, and Greeks. The Jews had a certain way of thinking about God. The way that they thought about God was according to the law and rituals and religion and, and, and a process of keeping the rules. And so they, they thought of God as, as, a, as a rule giver and they were the rule keepers. And so that's the way they related to God, by rituals and by rules. What do we know about the Romans? What kind of religion did the Romans have? Well, the, the Romans, their religion was kind of all mixed up. They worshipped all kind of gods. They were polytheistic in their approach to worship. And they were also very oriented toward worshipping their Caesars. And so they had all this mixed up sense. They had no idea really of who the one true God was. And the Greeks were also messed up. All they believed in were a bunch of myths about God and had a variety of gods as well. So they were also polytheistic. And while the Jews were monotheistic. They believed in the one God. They didn't really know him in the perfect sense. They understood him from the basis of rules and regulations. And so Jesus comes into the world and Jesus says, I want to show you what God is really like. And every time that I perform a miracle, it's a way that I'm going to demonstrate to you the reality of who God is and what God is actually like. Notice Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke, this is to the Jewish people because it's written to the Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has, what? Spoken to us, how? By, say it with me, his Son, okay, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son, here's what I want you to get. The Son, who is the Son? Say his name with me. Come on, you can do better than that. Say his name. Help me out here, church. What's his name? His name is Jesus. Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's what? Glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, you need to know that when you see Jesus, you've seen God. When you see Jesus do something, you've seen that whatever he does is representative of the God that you know very little about. He came into our world to show us what God was like. Notice, if you will, John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word. That's who's the Word? Help me out. What's his name? Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen, we have seen, we have seen his 
glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, John says you need to know what you've seen. You need to know who you've seen. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen a representation, the exact representation of the Father. He came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What did Jesus' miracles show us about God? Well, Jesus' miracles showed us that God is real, that God is alive, that God is personal, that God is loving, and God is kind, and God is compassionate, and that God is not just a rule, uh, rule observer. No, God is relational in our lives. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is ever-present. God is available to all who will come to him by faith in Christ. Jesus came and said, I want you to know who God is. This is the miracle-working power found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, the second thing Jesus' miracles teach us. We'll go into these, if you will. I don't even know what these are. I'm missing something. Here we go. Jesus' miracles, read it with me. Jesus' miracles, what? Attract people's attention. Here's a key word, attract people's attention. First of all, the miracles of Jesus show the nature and the characteristics of God. And then also, the miracles of Jesus attracted people's attention to him and to God. What do we mean by that? Well, when Jesus was born on the planet, I say that was a pretty big deal. Would you agree with me? Because the word becomes flesh and comes to earth. So God is walking among men. I think we'd say that's a big deal, right? Right? Okay. That's a pretty huge event. That God Almighty has now stepped down into our world and he's walking on the planet. I've been to Israel a number of times. It's always a joy to go to Israel and to walk where Jesus walked. You know, there was actually a place that Jesus put his foot and dirt that he walked on and places he went. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when he came into the world, there were some announcements of his birth. We know that Joseph and Mary received announcements, right? The angels visited both of them and told them what was about to happen. And so Joseph and Mary are kind of in on the process. They know what's going to happen. We know that the shepherds near Bethlehem, they got the message right. We know that the wise men got the message. So there were some people that got the message, the birth announcement of Jesus. But what about everybody else? How's everybody else going to know that, that God is now on the planet? How is God going to get the attention of all the other people on the planet? He gets his attention by the signs he performs. Would you agree that if somebody who's been paralyzed for 38 years, like the man by the pool of Bethesda, and everybody knows him who's been around that pool when he gets up and walks, would that be a pretty big sign that something incredible just happened here? That someone is among us who is different from the rest of us? And so these signs showed us revealed to us or attracted people's attention to Jesus. Notice John chapter 2, verse number 11. Actually, these verses are back here, I think, actually. We've got them in the wrong place. Let's go back and see if we can find them. John 2, verse 11. See if I can find it here. Yeah. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples did what? believed in him. So what did the signs produce? Belief. Belief. 
So the disciples were kind of wondering a little bit here and there, is this really God among us? And so when he did this miracle in Cana of Galilee, turning the water into wine, the disciples had their own little conversations. said, my goodness, this has got to be him. It, it gave attention and credibility that we'll come to in just a moment. Notice the next verse. I hope this is the right one. John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because, notice they did what? They believed in him. Why? Because of the, what? Woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Who was this lady? She's the woman at the well, and Jesus had the encounter with the woman at the well, and he told her everything she'd ever done. He told her that she had been married five times, and the man she was living with now was not even her husband. And how did he have that information? He had that information because he was God. So he goes back. She goes back to this town that she was from. And she says, come, come on. I believe in him. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And that incredible. So the miracles led people to believe in Jesus. It got their attention. And so even today, when Jesus does a work in our lives, it draws attention to the reality of who he is. Every time God answers one of your prayers. Every time that a miracle happens in someone's life, every time that someone is transformed, there's a soul who is saved from sin and comes into salvation, and there's a situation that someone begins a relationship with God and things start changing in their lives, it draws attention to Jesus. It is a testimony of the reality of who Jesus really is. Let's go now to our third point tonight. Jesus' miracles authenticate his nature and his divine authority. This is why his miracles are so very important. To authenticate something means that you establish it as genuine. You establish it as conclusively, unquestionably certified. That when you authenticate it, it means it's the real deal. Some of you have uh, phones that whenever you pick them up, it recognizes your face. When it recognizes your face, your face recognition authenticates this as you, okay? If you try to do that with a mask on, it's going to say, I don't know you. I can't authenticate this is really you. You're hiding part of who you are, and so I can't really authenticate who you are because I can't really read those elements of your face. But once you remove the mask and you look at that little uh, face recognition process, it now says, oh, that, yeah, that's, that's the real deal. That's really you. And so it opens up that phone, so now you can have access. So you need to understand that Jesus' miracles actually were the authentication process of his nature and of his divine authority. Notice John. John chapter 10. For I have been uniquely chosen by God. These are the words of Jesus. So he's talking to a group of people. He says, I have been uniquely chosen by God, and he is the one who sent me to you. How then could it be blasphemy for me to say, I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the beautiful works, that my father sent me to do, then don't believe me. But if you see me doing the beautiful works of God upon the earth, then you should at least believe the, the authentication, the evidence of the miracles, even if you don't believe my words. Jesus said, if you don't even believe what I say, pay attention to what I'm doing. 
because what I'm doing is authenticating the reality of who I am, then you would come to experience me and be convinced that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus' miracles put an authentication on the reality that he was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Then number four, Jesus' miracles reveal God's desires for us. What do I mean by that? What somebody does for you reveals not only the kind of person they are, but it reveals what they want for you. If I were to invite someone up to the platform tonight and say, look, I want to give you a check for $1,000. By the way, I'm not doing that, just to be aware of that. Okay. But if I were, it might say something about me. It, would be a, it might be something you say, well, that's a generous person to do that. But it would also say something about what I want for you. It's not just that it's all about me, but I may see a need in your life. And so what I, what I do is not just about me, but it's because I care about you, okay? And so works of people don't just reveal something about their nature and character. It reveals something about what they feel about you. When someone sends you a card that says, I love you, I appreciate you, I'm encouraging you, that card that you get in the mail or that email that you get that's a word of encouragement to you, it's more than that. It's, more, it's a person not just being nice, but it's investing something in your life that says, I care about who you are and I care about you being encouraged, I care about you feeling loved. And so what I want you to see is that the miracles of Jesus were a, were, were a, were a statement of God's revelation of his desires what he wants for people. Every miracle in the Bible shows us what God wants for you. I was expecting a really big amen right there. I'm going to give you a second shot at it, okay? Every miracle in the Bible partially is there. It's there for those miracles are there for many reasons to instruct us. But one of the reasons that the miracles are recorded in Scripture is so God can say to you, that's the kind of God I am. That's the kind of stuff I want to do in your life. So every time you read of a miracle in the Bible, don't just stop and think of it as a miracle for somebody back then, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago. But think about the reality that God did that to communicate to me that these are the same kind of things he wants to do in my life. Isn't that wonderful to know? This is the kind of God that we serve. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.